Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Warch, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to talk with you each week, and I'm especially encouraged when I run into people out speaking at different conventions or conferences and churches who come up to me and say, hey, I've been listening to your podcast and... They fill in the blank with some way that the podcast has been helpful. That is very encouraging feedback. Thank you so much for that. If you have additional feedback, you can always email me at jefforge at gs.edu. Give me your podcast ideas or your questions, and we'll factor those into the mix as we lay out the future subjects for the podcast. Now, today I want to talk about the importance of creating a climate or a culture of evangelism in your church creating a climate or a culture of evangelism. Now, evangelism is often reduced to a program or a project. And when that happens, it becomes a segmented part of what a church does rather than a part of its lifeblood of what it accomplishes on a week-by-week basis. So how do you shift from evangelism as a project or a program, perhaps even done by a very few people, to evangelism as a climate or a culture uh, in your church. Today on the podcast, I want to talk about some specific ways that you can uh, do certain things that will contribute to this outcome. The first thing I want to talk about in creating a culture or a climate of evangelism is being able to articulate the gospel clearly and to have a good understanding in your church of what you mean when you say the words, the gospel. Now, the reason I say this is because today a lot of people are substituting a lot of other different messages or information for gospel communication. Let me see if I can flesh out some examples. First of all, some people focus on the effects of the gospel as the gospel. They will say things, for example, like, uh, if you want peace of mind, commit your life to Jesus, or If you want power to make better choices, commit your life to the Lord. Or if you want a better marriage or improved family relationships or a better understanding of how to be a good parent, then come to Jesus. Well, these are all good things. Uh, Every one of us wants better relationships. We want to make better choices. We we all want to uh, have peace of mind and other kinds of uh, interpersonal and personal benefits of the gospel. But I think we're making a mistake when we communicate all of these as the gospel. The gospel is not something that gives you something that makes your life better. The gospel is something in and of itself, which is transformational. Another confusing message about the gospel is substituting invitations to spiritual activities for responding to the gospel, like Uh, come to church or join my Bible study or be a part of my small group. And in these ways, we feel like we've somehow fulfilled our responsibility of inviting people to participate in the Christian faith. Another problem about the gospel is not being able to communicate it clearly, using too much jargonized language or uh, truncated uh, expressions to try to communicate what the gospel really is. So, While most of you who are listening to this podcast would say, well, I certainly want the gospel pulsating in the center of my church and the center of my ministry, 
While you might want that, you got to be careful that you don't spend more time talking about the effects of the gospel or more time talking about other aspects of response that are not really to the gospel or using phrases that don't really communicate with clarity about the gospel. Now, I was thinking about this last one particularly, using phrases and words that communicate in plain language about the gospel. I tried to write out in two or three paragraphs what I would say to a person if I were communicating without jargon and without Christian terminology, or if I was using Christian terminology, using it in a very simple sense and defining it as I go. So here's how I wrote out the gospel. God loves you and wants you to have the best life possible. Something called sin stands in your way. Being a sinner doesn't mean you always make the worst choices possible. It simply means no matter how hard you try, you can't come up to God's standards. And no matter how hard you try, you're still living for yourself, which never pleases God. You need forgiveness, and that's only possible if someone pays the penalty for your sin and makes forgiveness available. The good news is Jesus died on the cross in your place to do just that. He died, but then three days later came back alive from the dead. By doing this, he showed he was more powerful than sin and its result, death. Jesus is the only person in history who ever died and was raised back from the dead, never to die again. Now, you must decide about Jesus. If you turn away from your sin and from living for yourself, he will forgive you and give you a brand new life. Your decision is simple. You must trust Jesus as your Savior from sin and submit yourself to him as your Lord. Once you make this decision, you'll be changed immediately on the inside. Then, over time, as you learn to follow Jesus by obeying his instructions in the Bible, your entire life will change, and we'll see that change on the outside. The best part of all, someday you'll be with Jesus and God and every other person who has ever followed Jesus in heaven, and you will be there with him forever. That's an explanation of the gospel in three short paragraphs without using Christian jargon, without saying things like give your heart to Jesus or come down the aisle or any of these phrases that have crept into our, into our vocabulary, which really aren't part of the gospel. But this short presentation I've given does use Christian terminology like sin and gospel and repent, and it uses those words but then defines them and helps people understand what they mean in plain language. Well, the first step toward creating a culture or a climate of evangelism in your church is to really understand the gospel, to talk openly and often about the gospel message, and to make sure that you're not confusing other good messages and even well-intended messages with the gospel. So beware that you don't spend too much time talking about the effects of the gospel instead of the gospel itself that you don't spend too much time substituting other invitations or other activities like Bible study and small group and worship service for coming to Christ in the gospel. And be careful that you don't use so much Christian terminology, Christian jargon, as one person called it, the language of Zion. Get away from that and learn to speak the gospel in plain language. 
and practice doing this often in worship services, in small groups, in Bible studies, in conversations, so that in your ministry context, the gospel, the gospel itself is often a part of the conversation. So the first step in creating a culture or a climate of evangelism in your church or ministry organization is to talk about the gospel. Second, a second step is to train people to share a simple gospel presentation. Now, today on the podcast, I'm not going to try to talk you into a certain one of these because, quite frankly, uh, the number of people listening to this podcast from different cultures, different ethnicities, different geograph- uh, geographies or geographical settings around the world uh, is all so different that it would be really pointless for me to say, and this is the one gospel presentation you should teach everyone. But what I challenge you to do as a leader is to find a simple gospel presentation that is true to the gospel and is delivered in plain language and train people in your church to share this with other people and to do so on a regular basis. Now, I would also advise you to choose something that you can stay with for some time. In fact, I would choose you to make a three to five year commitment to a specific kind of training to help people understand how to share the gospel. Now, why do I think it's best to have a prolonged approach to this uh, challenge or this problem of training people about gospel sharing? Well, several reasons. First of all, when you make a long-term commitment, it relieves the pressure of thinking of evangelism training as a program to accomplish or a project to get done. So instead of thinking, how can I turn out 50 people for an evangelism training over the next two weekends? Instead, think, how can I get 10 people to commit to evangelism training every semester for the next five years? And by doing that, build a momentum of training over time rather than just having a project or uh, or a program and then setting it aside. Another reason I want you to commit to a long-term training program is it builds a momentum of its own within a congregation so that people who go through it then tell their friends, man, you really need to take this training. It really helped me understand the gospel. It helped me know how to share the gospel. And in fact, I led my first person to Jesus because of what I learned in this training. And when people start recruiting other people to it on your behalf, then you know that you're making real progress in changing the culture of evangelism. Another reason to make this kind of prolonged commitment is it gives a commonality of expression and a commonality of experience in your congregation. This means that over time, dozens and dozens of people have been through the same training and have uh, the same set of shared experiences, the same set of uh, memorized uh, uh, gospel passages from scripture, uh, some maybe same illustrations. And then because of all of this, they have a similar vocabulary that they use to talk about the gospel. Now, when you do this, you, you wanna imp- I want to emphasize to you that you're not trying to just accomplish something in the short term. You're trying to build momentum for the long haul. You're not just trying to create a program or a project that you can check off and say, we got that done. You're trying to change the climate or the culture of your organization by doing something repeatedly over time. So choose a simple method of training people in how to share the gospel. Something that you can train people to do in, say, 8 to 12 weeks. 
And then repeat that process two, maybe three times a year where you take small groups of people through this rather intensive training program to help them learn how to share the gospel. And by doing this, you're going to build momentum over time. You're going to build shared common experience throughout your church. You're going to build a cadre of shared memory of script or scripture memory, a shared memory of illustrations, shared memory of experiences, even a common vocabulary by which you can talk more effectively about what it means to share the gospel. All right, so we're gonna learn how to articulate the gospel and talk about it often. And then second, we're gonna create a way to train people to share the gospel, and we're gonna create something that we can use over and over and over and over again, over a period of years, to really shift the culture and change the climate of evangelism. Number three, a third thing you can do is create opportunities for people to share their witnessing experiences. You know, a lot of people who try to share the gospel uh, don't really have a frame of reference for how other people are doing it or how successful other people may be or what are some of the challenges other people may be facing. But we, and so we need to create this opportunity for people to share their witnessing experiences so that they can not only share what they're experiencing, but they can learn from the experiences of others. Now, one obvious way to do this, of course, would be to invite the uh, people to share in a worship service about their recent witnessing experiences. They can either give a testimony or tell a story about how they did that, or maybe you could even record it on a video, maybe even a simple video like an iPhone video. Well, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. The problem with it, though, is at least twofold. First of all, many people are intimidated about getting up in front of a crowd and speaking in public, so they don't even want to do this, so that kind of mitigates against this being effective. Uh, A second problem is sometimes there's confidentiality issues or there's at least uh, delicate issues that are involved in someone sharing the gospel with another person, and you might not want that shared in a public venue. Well, are there other places then besides a worship service context where people can share their stories of witnessing or of sharing their faith? I think we should be doing this really more effectively even than in a worship service in our small group ministries. Now, in almost every small group setting, there's a prayer time or a sharing time, and the leader will typically ask a question like this, uh, what's been going on in your life this week that you'd like to tell us about? And then a second question, what kind of prayer requests do you have today that you'd like to tell us about? Why not add this question to every small group experience every week? Who can tell us about a recent attempt to share the gospel with someone? And we can pray for you about that. Tell us about your recent experiences of sharing the gospel, and let's pray about that, or let's pray about your effectiveness in that, or let's pray for the person who heard the gospel witness. Now, when you do this in a small group context, it raises the issue of evangelism repeatedly in a small group context, and just raising the question reminds everyone of the importance of sharing the gospel. So while you certainly can allow for opportunities to share witnessing experiences in large group settings like worship services, another way to do it is by simply raising the question in a small group setting, who has shared the gospel lately? Or tell us about an example of when you tried to share the gospel lately, or who's been sharing the gospel lately and needs prayer about a certain situation they may have encountered in that context. And in doing that, You create opportunities for people to share their witnessing experiences, and in doing that, you create a climate for evangelism or a culture of evangelism because people are now talking about it. They're troubleshooting the issues that are raised by those testimonies. They're praying for one another and for the friends that they're sharing the gospel with to be saved. And so we see this simple act of being intentional about asking people to share their witnessing experiences 
to contributing to this solution of creating this climate or culture. Now you say, yeah, but what if we ask that question and no one ever has any? Well, in this case, the silence speaks loudly. The fact that no one has any example to share at all about trying to share their faith with anyone else should be a convicting presence for a small group and a reminder that they are here, that they are meeting together, not just for Christian fellowship and support, but also to motivate one another to fulfill the mission the Lord has given us of taking the gospel to the whole world. Now, another thing you can do to create a climate or a culture of evangelism is to talk about sharing your faith in as many venues as possible. I'm talking about you as the leader. You have the opportunity to preach sermons, lead Bible studies, lead small groups, write a blog, record a podcast, post on Facebook. You have all these opportunities to communicate to the people who follow you in your congregation. And they pay attention to what you are talking about and what really matters to you. So if you're constantly posting about national politics, then they're probably going to conclude that national politics mean a lot to you. If you're constantly posting about some denominational hassle that's going on or some denominational controversy, they're probably going to think that's really important to you. If you're constantly uh, posting about your family and about funny things that have happened or things that that you've done as as a family unit, they're going to know that that matters to you. How often do you post, say, speak, write, talk about sharing your faith? How often do you tell stories about your own gospel experiences and your gospel sharing experiences? See, when you do this, it causes your followers to know that this is important to you and makes them want to emulate you in that important work. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but I don't like talking about myself. Sure you do. You talk about yourself all the time. Uh, you talk about what you think about politics. You think about talk about what you think about the denomination. You talk about what you think about the Bible. You talk about what you think about your family. You're always talking about yourself and telling people what you think. I'm just challenging you to put something out there about your own practice of sharing your faith and of how that's going for you and what you're learning from those experiences and how you can do it better the next time and all those kinds of issues that you can raise. Now, you might be thinking, well, The reason that I don't talk more about this in my Bible studies and sermons and podcasts and blogs and other venues like Facebook is because, quite honestly, I'm really not sharing my faith with anyone. Wow. That's another big issue. You can't create a culture or a climate in your church around a practice that you're not involved in at all. You know, some of these things are more caught than taught. And if you don't have any stories to tell about how you're sharing your faith with others, how can you ever expect your followers to have those same experiences? So an important part of creating a climate, if you will, for evangelism or a culture of evangelism is you as the leader talking about your own practices of sharing your faith, how that's going for you, what you're learning from it, and the people that you're sharing with and asking others perhaps to join you in praying and, and seeking God for those people who are hearing the gospel. Now, uh, another thing you can do to create a climate or a culture of evangelism is to 
find ways to put more people in your church on what I'll call the evangelism team. Now, I almost hate to use that phrase because I, I don't want to create the idea that just a very few people in your church have the ministry or responsibility of evangelism or of sharing their faith. That really belongs to everyone in some sense and belongs to the whole, the, the, the total church as a whole. But let's be real. For a lot of different reasons, there are going to be people in your church who just simply aren't going to share their faith. And if they do so, they're going to do it very rarely. Some people are really shy. Some are very insecure. Uh, some uh, get tongue-tied and don't really know what to say. Some people, frankly, are just afraid. But most believers, most Christians, want somehow to be involved in getting the gospel to more people. So that's where I'm coining this evangelism team phrase, not because I'm trying to set aside evangelism uh, for the function of just a few and put that few on the team. No, I'm trying to say, let's find a way to get as many people as possible serving on the team that results in people directly coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So for example... I have in the past recruited people to be on a prayer team or be prayer partners for people in, on the evangelism team or in the evangelistic efforts of our church. I've gone to people and said, would you be willing to pray? Uh, would you pray every Monday while we're doing this training and making these practice visits? Will you pray for these people who are in the training this semester? Will you pray for these people who've been through our evangelism training and pray that they will be bold and uh, wise in sharing the gospel with more people? Will you pray in support of our evangelism programs and projects and, and pray in support of the people we have who are really working hard to share their faith? So one way to add more people to the evangelism efforts, let's call it that, the evangelism team of your church, is to recruit people to pray. Another thing is to recruit people to provide child care. Will you provide child care for these people so they can come and be trained to share their faith more effectively? Will you provide child care for these people so they can go out and share their faith with people in different contexts? Will you provide the support base that we need so that some can be freed up to go out in the community more aggressively with the gospel? Uh, you can also recruit people for a hospitality team, or you can recruit people to put together materials or packets of information that can be distributed. All kinds of support kinds of roles can be created, prayer, child care, hospitality, materials preparation. All these kinds of things need to be done to support the total work of a church in evangelism. And you can find ways to involve more people by doing this, and in doing so, create a greater sense of of a climate or a culture for evangelism. Now, one final thing. The last thing you can do, and in some ways perhaps the most enjoyable of all of these, is to find ways to celebrate everyone who contributes to a conversion. Now, when I was a pastor, I did this, and then lately I've been seeing this done in another context that I'll tell you about in just a moment. But when I was a pastor, when someone would profess faith openly in Jesus Christ and come before the church to present themselves as a candidate for baptism and for uh, being received into the membership of our church, I would say something like this. Uh, this is my friend John Smith, who's come to faith in Jesus Christ recently and wants to be baptized. If you've had a part in him standing here today, I'd like to recognize you just now. If you've ever prayed for John to be saved, would you please stand up? If you've ever cared for John's children while he was in Bible study or here in a worship service, would you please stand up? 
If you've ever been to John's home or taken him out to coffee or in any other context, reached out to him personally and tried to share the gospel with him, would you please stand up? Uh, If you've ever done anything uh, like this in support of this person coming to faith in Jesus, I want you to stand up and be recognized. Now, when I would do this as a pastor, I would have anywhere from five to 25 people standing, and a couple of things uh, typically happened that surprised everyone. First of all, a lot of times the person who was publicly professing faith in Christ would be quite emotional when they saw the number of people stand up who'd had a hand in their conversion. A lot of tears shed in those moments. The other thing that was always surprising was who stood up. For example, when I would say, if you ever prayed for John to become a Christian, would you please stand up? And people would stand up that I didn't even know knew John. And later when I would follow up, they'd say, oh, yeah, uh, he's my cousin's nephew's brother-in-law, and so I've been praying for him for years. Or, yeah, I know John. I, I used to work with him at an old job five years ago, but we both moved on from other companies. But even back then, I was praying for him to be saved. And just things like that would come out. And it was astounding to me how God would interweave lives in producing people who came to faith in Jesus. So one of the things I would do would be have people stand up and be recognized. Now, you can do this when people are presented uh, for membership in a church and for baptism. You can also do it at the baptism. Uh, Instead of doing it like I've just described, follow a similar protocol, but just do it at the baptism. As John Smith comes down in the water with you, say, this is my friend John who's committed his life to Jesus and wants to be baptized. And if you've had a hand in contributing to this baptism today, I want you to be recognized. And then just call out the names and have people stand, or excuse me, call out the categories and have people stand. And then as they're standing there, recognize them as all contributing to John coming to faith in Jesus and being baptized. Celebrating like that is a powerful moment. You know, I've had a recent experience of this that once again reminds me of how powerful this can be. I've been involved for a number of years in ministry to professional umpires in uh, North America. A ministry entitled Calling for Christ uh, reaches out to professional umpires. It was founded by umpires for umpires, and every December, uh, they have a retreat, three days, where they uh, spend their days pray, pre- preaching and praying and fellowshipping and learning together. And as a part of that experience, they have an evangelistic service where they really communicate the gospel very clearly, and they ask people in the moment if they will stand up and follow Jesus. It's a powerful, powerful challenge because you've got 50, 60 uh, umpires there. And these are uh, intense men, and they're proud men, and they're men who respect each other and the difficult job they do in the game. But every year, one, two, three of them will stand up and say, I'll follow Jesus and step out in front of their peers. And then the leader will say, if you'll follow Jesus, we invite you to be baptized today. We have water, and there's nothing holding you back. You may someday need to be baptized to be a part of a local church, but today I'm going to give you the opportunity to be baptized right here in front of your peers and to take a stand among your brothers and say, I follow Jesus with you. And we go down to the swimming pool and it's the December and it's in uh, North Dallas and it's cold, (laughs) that water, man. But they walk down in the water and then the leader will say, the water's good. 
And this brother's coming to profess his faith in Jesus. And if you've prayed for this brother, if you've shared the gospel with him, if you stand with him today and you want him to know that you're a part of his conversion, come down in the water with me and help me baptize this man. And four or five or six umpires will walk down in the water and they'll embrace this candidate and hug him and love him and tell him how much they're proud of him and how much they prayed for him and how much they want to stand with him. And then all of them lay hands on him as they baptize him. And he comes up out of that water professing faith in Jesus with all these brothers standing around him. And this encouraging moment of everyone saying, this is community and we're all in this together and we all are a part of this moment. It is a powerful witness. And it helps create the culture or the climate of evangelism, even in that context. So I'm challenging you today to not just have evangelism as a program or a project, but to create a culture of evangelism in your church or ministry. Do that by, first of all, clearly articulating the gospel, learning to do it in plain language and talking about it often in all the venues you're able to communicate. And then train people in a simple gospel presentation and don't just train them once, but train them semester after semester after semester over the years to build a cadre of people who share a vocabulary and set of experiences about sharing their faith. Then create opportunities for people to share witnessing experiences, especially in their small group context. Make sure you add that question, who has shared the gospel recently with someone and would like to tell us about it, or some variation of that question to your small group experience. And then let reaching people, sharing the gospel and issues related to evangelism uh, permeate your, your communication, whether it's your preaching or teaching or writing or podcasting or Facebooking or other social media posting, whatever it is you're doing, make sure that you're telling your story of how you're sharing your faith. Create ways for as many people as possible to be on the, quote, evangelism team. Again, not segmenting out a few to do evangelism, but trying to get as many people as possible connected to this great task of reaching more people with the gospel. And then finally, find ways to celebrate everyone who had a hand in anyone's conversion. If you do these things, you will enhance the culture or the climate of evangelism as you lead on.